Hey there, this is Ron Wasserman, the nut that wrote Go Go Power Rangers, and you are listening to Tom and Jamie present the Chronicles of Podcast. There you go. Listen, listen, listen. You're going to love it. Holy ass, boys and girls, welcome back to the Chronicles of Podcast. Hashtag WBW way back Wednesday. Jamie, who are we throwing back to this week? We are throwing back to the mighty Adam Jackson. Oh, yeah. These are the chronicles of Adam Jackson, the drummer from the mighty Berry Tomorrow. What a band, dude. What a band. So obviously, for anyone that knows me personally, would know that this has been one of my favourite bands for the entirety of their six albums, funnily enough. I first saw them in 2010 at Sonosphere when they were flyering for their own show, um, which, funnily enough, is a story that's in this interview. <laughs> so what has Adam been doing since we spoke to Adam? Uh, well, realistically, not a whole hell of a lot. He's still <laughs> been working on his house. He's still been, you know, sorting his house out um, with his uh, fiancée. Um, and it's looking incredible. If you follow Project Number 10 on Instagram, you can follow all the, uh, the what they're going through, all the upgrades and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, sadly, Jason, the clean singer, guitarist, has left very tomorrow recently. So that's uh, that's pretty poo. Pretty poo news, boys. Pretty poo news. But um, obviously, they're about to play Slam Dunk Festival this weekend. Hence why we're throwing back to Adam this week. Um, very tomorrow are uh, second to headlining. So they're just on before the headliners on the, on the stages at uh, Slam Dunk this weekend in Leeds and in Hatfield in London. Uh, I will be there Sunday, and I cannot bloody fucking wait. Uh, obviously, Adam recently had his birthday this weekend, and he had his stag do. So, you know, we, we're only thrown back because of the fact that they're playing slam dunk, and then all of a sudden he had he got, you know, a stag do on the Friday, his birthday was on the Saturday, so it's like, well, beautiful. What a time to throw this back to. I was going to say, we couldn't have picked a better week to throw it back, really. Exactly. This is the um, week of Adam Jackson. This, this is the week of yeah, absolutely. But guys and girls, like this interview was just so much fun. Um, like I can't believe still that we had the privilege to talk to you know a member of one of my favorite bands ever. Um, that you only like signed us to about three months ago. Yeah, I think I started listening to them because of doing this interview, and yeah. now I listen to them quite frequently. So there we go. Works so, out for the best, didn't it? For those that don't know, please go check Ray tomorrow out because you will not be disappointed. They are, you know, the leaders in metalcore. They are incredible. Incredible. I look forward to seeing how they're going to go forward without Jason. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the chronicles of Adam Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a real treat for you today. Today's guest is a member of a band who have helped bring British metal music back into the limelight. And they are truly flying the flag of the metalcore genre. Most importantly, they're a band known for just simply being awesome dudes and here to talk all about his life his career he's a man of many talents including house renovator and doer upper but most importantly he's the drummer from the mighty berry tomorrow welcome to use chronicles mr adam jackson <laughs> hello that was quite a build-up i'm not gonna lie well we, we like to put you on the highest pedestal possible <laughs> and then uh, yeah just keep you up there but no seriously adam how how has the last year been dude um yeah odd i guess very very unusual uh, well obviously for everybody i mean I, I suppose this is one of those situations where it's been weird for every single person isn't it so yeah. 
Um, but yeah, particularly for me, particularly for us, for very, very obvious reasons. Um, yeah, I think um, for me, I've been trying to find the positives in it. Um, and I think, you know, not everyone in the band would necessarily agree, but me personally, I've just tried to use the time um, as a time to just have a break from having to tour, I suppose. Mm. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but, you know, we've done this for a long time. We've, mm. we've taught a lot, um, you know, across 10 years, it's been the sole kind of focus, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I guess it's frustrating that it has to come in a year where you can't do anything else anyway, if that makes sense. Like yeah, yeah. in an ideal world, you get to that stage as a band where you're like, you know what, we're going to take a year out just because we can. We're gonna we're gonna just you know chill and I know some some bands have done it not that many um, of our size because it you know touring is absolutely crucial to making any money um, in the industry but it would have been nice to just do it on our terms a little bit but it's been obviously yeah. with the fact that um, yes I'm home but you know can't really be doing much else anyway um, but yeah it's it's been okay um, the longer it goes on the more frustrating it is from a, I guess, a release perspective, obviously the cannibal did great, but the fact that we haven't toured it and we're now, you know, facing like an entire kind of cycle, a touring cycle out um, puts us in a, in a tricky position as to what we, what we do next. So the longer it goes on, the more frustrating it is, but um, yeah, I don't know. I try and be a positive person. So I'm, you know, I'm just, uh, using my time wisely i suppose yeah i mean i think the first lockdown was probably easier as people say because obviously it's the summertime whereas this time around yeah. it's been freezing raining and no one can really go out in the gardens no one can really go out anywhere so i think <clears throat> the weather's had a massive impact on uh, on lockdowns and stuff especially this time around but um have you managed to teach yourself or learn anything new away from drumming music or anything at all during this last year um I don't know about anything new particularly, but, you know, obviously you guys have touched on the whole house thing. Myself and my my fiance are, are renovating our, our second house together. We did it with our first one that we bought a few years ago. So we kind of had some some experience there, but we we had quite a stressful time. I guess, to be fair, this was kind of the focus of the, the first um, lockdown we had in that we, we'd had an offer accepted on this house in in the January of, of last year, yeah. um, you know, should have been fairly straightforward. It was a, it was a probate sale. So obviously that the property was vacant. Um, everything was lined up. We were selling our own one, but basically we had an absolute nightmare. I mean, it drags on and on and on for months. We had to, we ended up selling our house without being able to move into this one. Oh, um, shit. We moved in with her grandparents for months while we were waiting for it to go through. Cause we were just, we were at a point where we either did something or we lost the people buying our house. Um, so yeah, like last year was really, really stressful on uh, that front for me. So I, I guess it was almost, I don't know. I don't know whether it was good to not have the band thing to really focus on touring wise or whether if I'd have been going away, it would have been good to take my mind off of it. But at the same time, I was kind of grateful because there was so much stress in it. Actually me leaving you know, her to kind of deal with stuff would have been would have been pretty pretty rubbish. So yeah, we had an absolute nightmare. We ended up moving in December, 
um, and we've basically just been renovated oh. um, ever since. But yeah, it, it took almost a, a year, a long time. Yeah, it was it was awful to be honest. Um, Dude, <laughs> but yeah, we got there in the end. So I've, yeah, we've just been just been trying to sort it out really. But it's been it's been good. As I said, we've kind of done it before, but this is a slightly bigger bigger scale. But yeah, I'm not an expert by any means. You know, I get the, I get the trades in where appropriate, but I try and try and get my hands dirty. Yeah, fair play. So you I'm, enjoy I'm ripping it. things out. That's that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> I can destroy things. I cannot put new things up. Exactly that. Yeah, for sure. I saw your um, conquer of the stairs with the ladder. Yeah, man. Yeah. Did you manage, did you manage to finish that? Yeah. So. We got it stripped and it's now been plastered, but I've got to get up there to paint it, which I'm trying to think about the best way to uh, do that. It wasn't too bad to strip it, but I'm trying to figure out how I can get the the paint up there. Um, <laughs> some sort of pulley yeah, system. I'll get there at some stage. So some Home Alone sort of pulley system there. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. The, the thing is, you know, we got, obviously I stripped it and then we got our plasterer in, who's a guy that we know fairly well from our previous project. And, he just set up some, you know, not remotely safe ladder concoction <laughs> thing with like a wooden plank. And then he was on a, a oh, little no. like plastic box as well, just plastering away. Um, so I guess, you know, you, even the pros just have to wing it. So I'm going to have to find, <laughs> find some sort of way of doing it. But yeah, I'm not looking forward to I that. wish you all the best. I wish <laughs> you all the best, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So... Before we talk about drumming and whatnot, how is it you got into the genre of music that you play? Mm. Um, I guess it it starts for most people, I suppose, of listening to like obviously lighter stuff, and it's just a progression, really. Um, you know, I, I guess some some kids, their parents might be into some, you know, heavy metal or something, so maybe they're exposed to it at a young age. But that wasn't really me. I just came into it from um you know seeing bands on tv i mean you know the stuff that would be on music channels back in the day um you know i guess linkin park was as heavy as it got you know what i mean but (laughs) blink 182 that kind of thing just just bands i suppose um you know people playing instruments and uh, just it went from there it was a real progression i think um I just, I guess it was just like, it was something that resonated with me, you know, when I started to listen to, you know, slightly heavier and heavier music. Like I remember um, coming across Funeral for a Friend back in the day. And actually like, it was, it was too heavy for me at the time. I was like, I really like the singing part, but I just, I don't really get the heavy side, but there was something there, I guess. Um, And yeah, just the more I listened to it, the more it became a thing and, it was just around the time that we were kind of um, myself and my friends at school were sort of um, just getting a real interest in music and just bands and what bands did and um, imagine being in a band and just, I don't know. It was like, a, it was just like everything about it. it. It was weird for me. Like I kind of came into heavy music with, the fascination with almost being in a band at the same time. It's almost been like a package, a package deal for me in some way. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, just, just a progression. Um, 
listening to bands as i said coming across bands that were slightly heavier but maybe i dug some of the music and then just the rest of the parts growing on me um and really went from there like i i don't know if you guys have ever heard of a band called the bled um quite an old school band they don't really exist anymore i think they might be coming back but i remember i bought their record past the flask and like they didn't they don't sing at all um i like the music but i wasn't quite there with the screaming stuff but i just bought it anyway and just sort of listened to it and it it all just um it grew on me really but i suppose that's where my my tastes are, are very varied and i've always liked the bands that really mixed up the the heavy in the the melody i suppose and that's obviously where the idea for for bt came really and it's just it's just been progressing ever since nice so have you always played drums or was it we did you want to do other things did you want to play other instruments or was it always drums for you no so like i i mean i did um i did some guitar lessons when i was really young before i was really into music um and then literally the the drums thing was this is what i mean as far as being in a band goes like i we started having conversations with my friends about forming a band and we sort of you know everyone got their roles and i always kind of you know, like the idea of playing drums in a band. And so, you know, just got a kit to start BT, essentially. Like, it's, there's no great backstory apart from let's <laughs> form a band. Who can do what? You've always got the guys that, oh, yeah, I play guitar. And then you find a couple of those and you're like, well, who's going to play bass? And then you probably find some failed guitarist who's like, yeah, I'll just play bass. It's fine. And then, <laughs> You end up with the, the next person is like, well, I don't play anything, so I'm going to be a vocalist. And then you have to find the drummer because it's not really normally stupid enough to um, actually have to buy a kit and lug that around. <laughs> the next few years. So, but it always just appealed to me. Like, as I said, that, you know, watching bands on TV and getting into music, because I did, like, there was just something with the drummers that resonated with me. I, I found myself watching them and, and listening to what was going on with the drums. I, it was just something that came to me sort of naturally um and then, yeah when I sat down and played a kit for like the first time I'd, I'd been air drumming you know I don't know for probably a couple of years and I semi knew what I was doing to a degree and yeah we literally started BT on on that premise it was super basic so <laughs> the fact we've blacked our way through to where we are is hilarious obviously <laughs> um <laughs> At the time, the other guys, the other guys weren't weren't in the band. Um, it was just me and and guys from school. Um, you know, majority, which I'm still really really good friends with now. It was just started as something, and yeah, obviously for me, um, to get to where it's gone is funny. But equally with with the other guys, you know, um, even Dorse now has been in it for years. But before um, Dorse, the other guys have been doing it for for so long. So yeah, it's just. Um, it's amazing really when you when you think about what what we've done of the back of that, that basic idea you know yeah so you're not the only original member left uh yeah technically i am that's that's incredible so Sorry. did you get it's... lessons on drums or was they literally just picked up a sticks and went i can do this yeah no i've never had a lesson um that's which, insane i mean you know i've you know, i've got so many bad habits and i you know there's loads of rudiments i couldn't even play to you but I it was always part of playing drums was always just part of being in a band it's never been about being a drummer for me mm. like mm. I'm not you know interested in being 
a, a drummer who's good. I'm just interested in being in a good band um, and doing the best that I can with, with that. Really. I don't, um, don't get too much out of playing drums by myself. Um, it's, yeah, the, the band thing is, is always just what I wanted to do it for. Um, yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, as I said, when we started, it was like, okay, I'm going to get a drum kit to be in this band. It was never like, yeah, I've played drums for a couple of years. I'll, I'll join. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like that. I've never done drums by myself without this band. So I suppose, um, I suppose it kind of makes sense when you think of it like that, but yeah, completely self-taught just by ear. Um, yeah you know it's it's worked out i guess but you know i would have liked to have learned um you know some better habits probably um but i just thought at the time i'm not interested in sitting in a room with somebody who doesn't like heavy music and tell me how to play stuff that i'm not interested in playing um, you know, I, I wanted to play drums to play the music that I was I was into, um, and that that's that's why I did it. But as I said, there's no doubt. You know, I've picked up some some bad habits along the way, but I just um, I make it work for what we need to do. I suppose. Well, exactly. I mean, you must be doing something, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I mean, obviously, dude, I'm I'm well aware I'm not you know the best drummer out there, um, let alone in you know in our our scene. There's some absolutely incredible. Um, musicians that you know just blows my mind and I don't know sometimes you feel um, quite inadequate following some of the uh, musicians that get on stage but you know so long as the so long as the songs are good that's the main thing yeah you should never compare yourself man BT tunes uh, I mean I'm gonna get into it but my days (laughs) (laughs) Um, is there a reason that you use natal kit or like, is there a difference in sounds of the different kits that are made? I mean, is there, so like the, the natal kit you use that specifically designed for metal, metalcore sort of music, or is it just, does it not matter anyway? I mean, generally when it comes to drums, man, there's just loads of different woods you can use. And generally the acceptance is that, you know, different woods are better for certain things. Like my, my current um, kit is, is just maple, which is a really like all round, a solid option, especially for rock and heavier music. Mm-hmm. Um, my first kit from them was Walnut, which um, is slightly lighter, not traditionally for rock and metal, but it, it, it works. It's quite punchy. And then you've got, you know, things like Ash and Birch, which are generally associated with like lighter types. But, you know, it's much of a muchness, really. Maple is a really great all round word. You can play anything from jazz to metal on it and it, you know, it works. Um, but yeah, my relationship with them is kind of just, um, I'd played my first proper kit. My first really good kit was um, Tama. Uh, yeah. The first kit I ever got was some like Chinese import thing, you know, <laughs> typical like my first drum kit. You, you know, when you see it in like shop windows and um, yeah, it, it was that. And, it, you know, I, I did what I could with it. I put decent heads on it and tried to get some good symbols. And that was when we first started. And then um, when I had like my first proper job, I saved up and I got this really nice Tama Star Classic kit, which was wonderful, uh, really nice. And then we played a load of shows on that, um, you know, did um, our first two albums on that, actually, Portraits and um, Union of Crowns. And then, you know, we were, we were touring, we were doing a bunch of stuff. Um, 
and I was looking for an endorsement and I liked the idea of a custom drum kit at the time. So I went with a company called SJC and they, they built me a kit. I still paid for it. I got a bit of a discount, but um, that was a really, really good kit. And then I'd been doing that for a bit, but I was really looking for the support of a company for like everything. So obviously, as you guys know, I'm sure there's, you've got your, your drums part and then you've got what's called the hardware. So, it, you know, it stands, it's pedals, it's everything else, obviously cymbals and heads are separate. So I was looking for a company that was able to provide everything. Now, obviously SJC just built drums. They didn't do the cymbal stands. They didn't do pedals. And I was looking for a bit of support because obviously if any of that stuff breaks when you're on tour, um you know it's a it's a pain in the ass and everything's expensive so um yeah i hadn't really had um you know that many offers but i was looking around and we happened to uh dav hit me up because he was talking to um marshall about uh their base company eden and uh, marshall own um natal so he just hit me up as like, i'm speaking to um joel at marshall and he wants to know if you're interested in in their drum company and i was aware of them at the time because um matt from don broco is using it um guys from mallory knox they were starting to emerge and i was like i didn't really know anything about the company um but yeah i i spoke to george the a&r guy and just loved what he had to say like george is super old school um, you know, A&R guys now, it's all emails, it's all internet. Um, you know, there's not much of a personal personal relationship, but he's really old school. We got on the phone, we had a conversation. You know, the most important thing was he was like, you know, we're, we want to work with you, want to support you, you know, get you a kit, hardware, whatever you want, come down to the, the Marshall Warehouse and try our stuff. If you like it, great. If, if you don't, then fine, we'll move on. Um, so yeah, I just got a really good vibe from him, went down, tried the stuff and I really, really liked the kits. Um, and obviously, you know, for me, it's always, if somebody's willing to, to support me and give me that level of support, um, you know, whatever you need, you can have it. It was, it was amazing. And, and I was really impressed with the stuff. And what I really liked about it, because whether you, I don't know if you guys know, but drum stuff is just so expensive, you know? Um mm. And, and some of the brands, like, yes, it's great kits, but it's so overpriced. And um, what I liked about Natal was the quality of the stuff was really good, but I felt it was affordable. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to work with a company and people are going to look at what I play and be like, oh, I wish I had one of those kits. I like the idea that it's affordable. I don't want to be sat behind a kit that costs five, six grand and some kid watching me couldn't ever afford one. You know, yeah, yeah. it just, just seemed a bit silly to me. So I really liked that it was really good stuff and, and affordable. And yeah, I, I've been with them for years now. I'm on my second kit with them. Um, the cymbal stands I got with my first kit are still the ones I use now. Um, I haven't really gone through much. It stands up. I play pretty hard. Obviously, we play a lot of shows. Um, it's great stuff. And it, it just feels good to, you know, as I said, get behind something that's it's good people, but it's it's good kits and yeah, like really affordable for a, a, a pro level kit. And I, I think that's probably the best thing about it, to be honest. That's good. I apologize for my pronunciation. It's Natal, you say. I, I, believe, it it's, I believe it's Natal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my bad. Um, sorry. Dude, you're not the, you're not the first. You won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> so in my intro, I, I mentioned how you guys sort of like fly the flag for metalcore. And yeah. the reason I said that is because when I, I read somewhere that in the early days, of the band metalcore is a bit of a dirty word 
but you yeah. guys were really adamant to fly that flag. What mm. was it that, about the genre that you're so proud of to go, like, this isn't dirty, this is our thing, we love this? Yeah, I think, dude, it just resonated with all the guys like in the band at the time. It's the ability to be be heavy and technical, but then be able to write like this enormous mainstream chorus. You know, it's 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 those things that have attracted me to it. It's, it's the mix of everything. And I just think... Um, you know, the bands that I listened to that could do that, it just, it always just blew my mind, you know, to be able to be so heavy one minute and so beautifully melodic the next. Um, yeah. I just always loved it. And all the guys in the band are exactly the same. And we, when we started, um, you know, they were kind of we were coming out of the, the age of, I guess, you know, Kill Switch, et cetera. And it, it wasn't particularly cool, especially in this country. Um, Obviously, when we started, we were purely focused on what, what was happening in the, in the UK and trying to establish ourselves here. And it just wasn't like nobody was doing this anymore. Um, nobody thought it was cool. We played on bills constantly with just like death metal bands where you couldn't read the logo. Um, oh, that. We, we were like, I don't know, like we, we felt we were, you know, a heavy ish band but honestly the bills we played on we may as may as well have been a pop act and we we said it so many times and we had so many like moments backstage where we just felt super out of place and very conscious self-conscious of, of the music um but yeah like we just thought it was a cool genre and ultimately that was the music we wanted to play so we stuck with it and i think we knew we had something um and yeah, we just we just stuck at it. But it was it was a dirty word for a while. I think to some people it still is. There's some people that you know, and each to their own. At the end of the day, this is people's opinions. Got to respect it. But some people still don't get it. You know, if if you're a heavy band, why why are you singing? Um, but we we've just always loved the mix and just trying to write as good a songs as possible. You know. Um, but yeah, I think now I guess you know we've we've proven our point and established ourselves and um, there's still not that many bands that are doing it. I feel like it's coming around a little bit more now. There's more and more younger bands who are doing that mix. And it's been a few years since that's been the case. So I guess that's, that's kind of cool. Maybe it's, maybe it is a bit cooler now. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, for a good few years, we, we really struggled with it, especially in, in this country. Um, to be fair, that's probably your influence, though. That's probably people hearing your band and going, "Yeah, that's awesome." We, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's a weird, it's a weird thought, but yeah, I suppose we're at the stage where we probably have influenced plenty of people. But that, you know, that sort of thing just blows my mind. You know, the more the more I think about it, but yeah, I guess probably. I mean, you know, I know we have because we get those kind of messages and we meet people all the time that are like, you know, huge influence on us and. I don't know. That's why I like having conversations with people at shows because it just um, is very, very humbling when you have um, when you allow yourself to have those connections with people. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's important for me and for us, I think, to make sure we always keep that um, connection because there's just nothing, nothing better than having those conversations with people that just absolutely love your music whether you've inspired them to be in a band or whether you they just love your music i mean that's yeah very few feelings like that in the world in in my opinion and i'm one of those people 
I've seen you probably four times that I own every album on vinyl and on CD. Uh, a few, quite a few signed as well. And I've saw you guys at Slam Dunk in 2017 uh, in, Bur- in Birmingham when your set got cut short because the sound issue. Yeah, in the in the arena. In the arena, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, we were we were raging. Like, no, I can. Yeah, I know because I met you afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like it was that was such a big opportunity for us. It's a it's the only time we've ever played in an arena. Still, um, you know, we've always had a great relationship with Slam Dunk. It's always some of the best shows we play. Um, Birmingham has always been huge for us. So we were like, you know, to get the opportunity to do that um, and be on that stage. We were we knew it was likely to be a really special show. And then when you have those kinds of things that are just completely out of your control. um yeah it's it's very very disappointing but there we go (laughs) it's all right but you're gonna come back this year and fucking slay it so yeah man we're we're looking forward to it we've um yeah had a bit of time away from slam dunk which i think was was important we played it a lot because we love it and i guess they like having us play um but it was important for us to have some time away um and yeah we're just looking forward to to coming back and you know, being so high up on the bill and stuff, it's, it's just, it's really cool. We've gradually been working our way up that lineup over a number of years. Yeah. So it's nice. <laughs> you, know, you see that, you see that poster now and we're, we're almost at the, the top. Almost there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your time will come, sir. Your yeah. time will come. I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so with the absolute anthems that you keep delivering on a, over a yearly basis, um, what is the process like with songwriting then, especially with drums? Is it a case of like the guys come in with guitar riffs and go, can you drum to this? Or is it a case of uh, you all jamming together and just going, just having a bash, see what happens and then go, oh, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately not now. It's kind of, it's more, um, you know, digital age and all that. So it very much starts with, um, starts with Dorse and a, and a guitar musical idea and he will have programmed some, some drums to it. Um, and then it goes from there, really. It, you know, the song will probably go through numerous different um, versions. Um, and obviously the drums start off just as kind of like a, a guide and just for the vibe that he's he's feeling. Because, you know, the way Dorse writes and the majority of songwriters, you'll find this, they, they have a picture in their head. So he's not only got this riff, you know, the drums are probably um, not necessarily the exact beat, but it's kind of like, snare placement and timing you know is it a threshy beat is it like a two-step rhythm is it half time you know those are things that he's already seeing in his head so when you yeah. tend to get the the demo it's kind of like he, he's got this picture um he probably even has you know some like vocal stuff in his in his head at the time but it very much starts like that just with a musical idea um and then we kind of get it to a point where everyone's happy in the sense of you know the riffs are there the the drums are doing roughly what people think they should be doing at the time um and the structures there and then it kind of just comes down to me sort of um you know finessing the parts with fills and transitions that make sense to me um because you know a guitarist programming drum sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> Certainly in my head, there'll be things that come out and you're like, dude, you realize I haven't got eight arms. And <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's classic, you know, every, I think every drummer would, um, 
resonate with that <laughs> when it comes to guitarist <laughs> program drum parts. But um, equally, like I've always, I've always really liked having that other input because there's sometimes things that will happen where you know I really dig what he's programmed drum wise, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it. Or it gives me an idea like, oh, that's really cool. But if I just did that as well, like that's even better. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, other yeah. times, you know, stuff like I'm, I'm not really sure on that. And we'll, we'll come to a, a compromise. But it's quite a process, but it's generally like a, a digital process. That The days of us getting in a room and just jamming stuff, it's not really a, a thing anymore. Um, which I guess is is a shame to, to a degree. You know, some of the the funnest times are when you're just you're attempting to write a song in a noisy practice room and no one's really got any clue what the other person's doing but you think it sounds all right but i think you know doing it this way it just means it's much more controlled you can really actually hear what every element's doing and you can get you know demos that sound quite good with everything just being programmed like that so certainly the last few albums we've we've kind of written in that way and got them to a point where we're generally happy with them um and then it goes from there. I mean, the, the last record we did more pre-production on um, vocally than we have done before. So a lot of the time uh, it will just be music that we have going into the studio to actually track the record. And then the vocals, the guys obviously know roughly what they're going to do, but we yeah. as a band don't necessarily hear it. But with, with Cannibal, we did a bit more work to take those demos and go into the studio pre-production wise and work with our producer to kind of um you know formalize them even more and lay down some some demo ideas vocally that we could all kind of sit with so with each album we've done it's basically been like an evolution of um care and attention and detail in in the lead up to the recording i suppose and, and in some ways that probably um you know whether everyone agrees that each of our records you know they get better each time for us it's kind of the result is, um, yeah, just uh, the result of putting more into each album and having more resources for each album, more time maybe for each album. Um, and I think we, you naturally get a slightly more cohesive product at, at the end of it. Absolutely. I mean, every album is stronger than the last. It absolutely is. Um, just going from strength to strength with that. But did you ever think that you'd become one of the biggest UK powerhouses on the metalcore scene. Did you ever think that'd be the case? <laughs> no, of course not. No. Um, you know, as I said earlier, like I think we felt like we had something and there's no doubt we wouldn't have put in everything that we have to this band if we didn't believe in it. You know, we've, we've gone hard with it for many, many years and put absolutely everything into it to the point of, you know, having nothing more to put in, you know, it hasn't been an easy ride for us. It's been a real slog. Um, but yeah, when when you're able to kind of sit back and take stock, um, that's kind of when I get my um, sort of renewed energy for it all, really. Because when you do reflect on what we have achieved, um, and you kind of realise that you, you know, you've done things that you're going to be able to talk about for years afterwards. You know, when all this is said and done, like some of the stuff I've been able to do, the experiences. Um, it's just not what the majority of people get to experience. I'm very aware that we're incredibly lucky, um, but it's not, um, you know, just being handed to us. We've had to absolutely fight for for everything, and we still we still are to to stay where we are and to get bigger. Um, it's it's tough. It's a very difficult 
industry. Um, so I guess, you know, when I touched on earlier about us having this time to not play shows, um, mm. you know, trying to use it as a chance to reset a little bit as much as possible um, because it is very full on and there's not really, you know, every year is just the cycle of more stuff. You don't, you know, if you're not playing shows, then you're, it's probably because you're working on the new record and, it, you know, we don't get a lot of chance to to just sit back and, and rest because you have to stay relevant. Um, yeah. The, the sort of age it is, you've got to keep producing music and we're at that stage again now. You know, we can't necessarily keep waiting for shows to come back. Um, you know, Cannibal to, to some is, is old news now. The way people consume music, it's completely different. Um, so we've, you know, we've got to think about what we do. Yeah. What you were saying there, like you're saying, you know, you've had some hard times. I was When I was doing my research for the show, I was reading like about some of the stuff, especially with uh, Arturo Records. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. It seems like they completely tried to fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I, I guess, you know, with time now, it's easy to look back on it. And, you know, it, it was what it was. It was weird. It was the... It was what we thought was our real big shot at like becoming the band that we thought we could be off. You know, we did portraits like we knew we had something and we knew that record was um, strong. And, you know, even for for a first album, like, you know, I, I still feel like it's it's really good. And ultimately they saw that um, and they really believed in it and they thought we should be the next big thing. So they basically threw everything at us to give us that opportunity. And we went from you know, doing very average things over here. Like obviously we were building a following, but we went from doing um, small shows over here to going out to the States and, and being on an enormous tour in front of, you know, one, 2,000 people every night. Um, and that was, that was big for us. And, you know, we, 2010, we re-released Portraits. We went out, we did three US tours, came back, you know, we were doing... Uh, we did a big UK European tour. We had some fairly decent festivals um, and it was really building. We were doing all the things that we saw, you know, other big bands do, you know, international touring, um, America, UK, Europe. We did Japan. Uh, we did a headliner that year. It was like it was doing the things that proper bands do, I suppose. Um, and then, yeah, when that fell apart, it was in such a way that it just really took the took the window of us and we had we went from having kind of everything in some ways um certainly not financially but you know we went from having uh, a team with backing um to having nothing and no way to release um our second album that was that was basically ready to go i mean it was it was an extraordinary situation i mean i know there's some like you know rumors and versions of it and we've never we've spoke about it a little bit for some interviews that we've done but I think we try not to dwell on it too much but essentially we we flew out to America to record um what became the Union of Crowns I guess if we'd have done it you know in America it probably would have it might have even been called something different and it would have sounded different and who knows what would have happened but we flew out to record it um we had some we'd been touring on um proper work visas out in the states like it was all done super legit basically we'd had some advice at the time that we could um we could go out and record without renewing our visas which had come to the end 
um, following the, the end of the touring cycle. Um, and so because we were going out to record and we didn't have a US tour planned immediately after that, the, the management and label, it was like it was a combined thing. They were our managers and label. Um, they didn't want to renew the visas then because we then have a period where we weren't making use of them. So they wanted to renew them at the point where we were about to go out on the tour. Uh, which you know made sense, but they got some advice from the the U.S. embassy, um, which ended up being bad advice. We flew out. Um, we went to get our connection. We were going to Ohio to record with Caleb. Um, for, oh yeah. yeah, Attack Attack at the time because we toured with them. Um, obviously, became Bear Tooth. Uh, we were flying out to record with him, and we got to Toronto to make our connection to go to Ohio. And we that you do the the U.S. border. Um, there and we basically were refused entry um, and put on a plane back home and um, it was just bizarre like everything was was okay like you know I kind of dealt with our um, manager at the time who as I said was was running the label it was okay you know they understood it wasn't our fault we went out there they told us to do it and it was what it was so we were sorting out going back home to do like an emergency visa appointment to come back. And there'd been like a little bit of tension as far as, you know, they'd asked us about, you know, kind of moving out there and what our plans were. And we'd, we'd pushed back on a couple of things and, um, you know, they wanted us to be the new asking Alexandra, who obviously had made the move over to America um, and were absolutely blowing up. Um, we were like, well, you know, we're a British band. We're not ready to move out to America just yet, blah, blah, blah. Um, we want to do things our way. And, you know, there's this kind of American metalcore bands are quite different from, you know, us and um, the more European vibe that we had going on. And we didn't really want to sound that way. And, yeah, there was a little bit of tension. And essentially there was just kind of like a an argument Um bit of a disagreement and it just it escalated super quick and they were just like you know what don't don't worry about it they the the dude who kind of signs everything off um just took something that was said really badly um i <laughs> i think dav dav wasn't with us dav hadn't flown out with us um to do the recording and he had heard that we'd got rejected in Canada and he was really frustrated because obviously we'd gone out there on their advice. And I think he like posted a tweet or something at the time that was just like, I don't know, this is, this is bullshit or something like that. And they, <laughs> they took that it was like directed solely at them and they took it really personally. We basically got, got dropped just off the back of that, like everything. So we had, obviously they were our management, they were our label. Um, and we also had a huge, um, us agent through them and it all just disappeared in the space of I don't know, half an hour. So we, we didn't know. So I oh, we right. left Canada, um, thinking we were flying home to sort out the visas to then come back. We landed, um, and picked up on like emails and messages and it was like, it's done. It was, it was the weirdest thing, man. And as I said, it, it took, it took the wind out of us. We went home and we had, we had nothing. We weren't, um, you know, we weren't really big in, in the UK or, or anywhere else. Um, 
we, as I said, we had this record written. We didn't have a label. We didn't have management. Um, we had a UK agent. That was about it. We had no real financial backing to, you know, record the album. It kind of just like everything just um, disappeared. And uh, we didn't really know what to do. Um, you know, I tried to have a few conversations and, and shop us around and stuff. But it was kind of like, you know, the momentum just got taken away. And we we weren't in a position where we felt like we could take, you know, a step back. Um, we didn't have time. You know, we needed to keep things moving. Um, and yeah, essentially, we just had a couple of shows booked in the UK. And we were like, because of the way it happened, the drama of it, the stress of it, um, everyone was pretty like over it. And we weren't a big band. So it was kind of like, well, that's that. Let's just maybe not bother anymore. Um, and yeah, we had a couple of shows booked. Um, one of them was Slam Dunk. And effectively, we just went out and we'd decided to do um, record one of the songs that we'd written, um, which became Lionheart. And we thought we'll just do it. Uh, got in the studio with with an old friend of ours, Mike. Um, did a video as like a last throw of the dice once we'd kind of collected our thoughts, I guess, across, the, across a few months. Um, and yeah, it all went mental. And we went out and did those shows and the response was just ridiculous. Um, and it was, you know, one of those moments we were like, okay, there's a lot of people that care about this band. You know, we'd be silly to not give it a go. So um, yeah, we started working with another manager at the time and started shopping ourselves around to different labels basically with with what we had that we were going to record before and eventually got um got the deal with with nuclear blast but i'm i mean this is so many years ago i think we actually went into the studio to do the union of crowns before we had the um that the album was being done so we took we took a bit of a chance because we knew there was some strong interest from a couple of labels. We basically were shopping ourselves to labels while we were recording Union um, and then ended up signing to Nuclear Blast for the release of it. So it was, um, it was a bit of a hectic time. But again, you know, we just we had this product. We had the songs. We felt like, you know, we were pretty good. So why wouldn't people be interested? Um, and then, exactly. yeah, Union of Crowns came out. And I guess the rest is kind of history in that sense we've never had you know anything since then to really um stop us but yeah it's um it was an absolutely in, insane time so it's mad it's amazing though that you went out did those shows and the reception was that good you're just like no yeah we've got to keep going and that is that's so cool yeah it's awesome yeah man. i mean you know lionheart came out so well you know i still rate that song now i think it was a it was a real moment. It resonated with, with, with people for whatever reason. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, when you go out and you play, play shows to hundreds of people in a room, if, if they hadn't come to see us necessarily, particularly being a festival, like if you, you get the response that we did, it was hard to not be like, okay, I think, you know, let's, let's just try one more time. Cause the thing is as well, like you've got to understand, we, we were putting in years of effort before we even did portraits. Like this wasn't, you know, to get to the point to do your first album is 
it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of slogging up and down the country, sleeping absolutely anywhere. So, you know, we'd put in the hours to the point where, you know, if we don't have support anymore, we're, you know, we're a bit over it, you know, Um, it's a lot went into that. So we weren't, it sounds silly for us to say we weren't exactly fresh at the time, but, you know, we'd, we'd put a few miles on the clock before we even did portraits. So, and then to tour that record and everything we went through with, with the States, it was just, we were very jaded even, even then by, by the situation. I think we've been, you know, fighting our way back ever since then. I think we've, we've always been um, slightly jaded by just the industry in, in general. Um, we've never really been in, an industry band or a band's band. We very much do it for ourselves and the people that like our music, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, we, yeah, it's just, it's weird when you, <laughs> when you talk about like everything that's gone on with our band, like it's, um, it's crazy, really. Crazy. I remember when uh, Lionheart came on, I think it might have been Kerrang. I think it was Kerrang. I remember I was just walking out of the room and it was like, Wait a second. What is this? And that, <laughs> yeah, and, and then I just—I think I played it over and over, and I, I couldn't stop listening to it. I just could not stop listening to it. It was absolutely glorious. That was it for me. I mean, I saw you in 2010 at Sonosphere, I believe it was. You played on the yeah, uh, Strongbow stage. Yeah, yeah, it was a big show for us. And was like, holy ass, boys! Who the hell are these guys? Like, this is incredible. Yeah, and that, yeah. So portraits. Um, but yeah, when you released Lionheart, sold, done. That was it just follow you forever <laughs> yeah man it's funny that sonosphere show was a moment for us as well because as I, I touched on before like when before we went out to um america like i i remember it vividly we played a show at um a venue in bournemouth um at the end of 2009 it was a headline show i mean it was a hundred cap room maybe sold out i guess you know yeah, absolutely yeah shitter fun but you know we, we we were nothing um and we were on the way back from that show and we were finalizing the deal with archery um and i was in like a conversation with um the head of the management company and our new or proposed new agent and they were um throwing around ideas for what the first tour was going to be um and obviously we got you know, confirmed for that attack attack run, which at the time was just an absolutely massive tour. And when we went out to do that, like we'd gone from playing that kind of hundred cap show to playing, as I said, to like thousand, 2000 people at night. And you, you know, we had to get better and look better very quickly. Um, you know, we'd done a lot of shows, but um, it's that step up in, in level. And I think we did that tour um a uk and european run with um alessana scarlet drive and emma rosa which was also a really big tour at the time over here and especially in europe um and then one or two other things before doing that sonosphere show and there was just so many people who obviously we've been out of the country so much they hadn't seen us um, we hadn't been around the uk that much there were so many people that saw us at sonosphere were like what in god's name has happened here like you know it was kind of it was almost like the coming of age in a way, you know, I, yeah. I guess we've like, you know, we've obviously progressed and, and done our own thing, but it was, 
I can just imagine the the difference between those who'd seen us, you know, maybe towards the end of 2009 and they hadn't caught us um, until that Sonosphere show. Um, it was it was quite a big step up. So we still have quite a few people that um, the Sonosphere time was the, the first time they saw us. And yeah, they haven't haven't gone anywhere <laughs> since. So it was it was a good show. I remember it. Was that your first big festival? Um, yes. Yes, it was, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I remember we we actually walked around Sonosphere flyering for our set because yes, we, to- we weren't totally sure that anyone was going to turn up. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I still get that now, to be honest. <laughs> if we got, we got a headline show and we got a pre-sale, then I, I'm okay. But with festival sets, you, you never know who's going to actually turn up and see you. So, um, But yeah, we, we had some flyers made and we, we were, you know, handing around doing it DIY um but yeah it was um it was the first proper time we got to play UK festival I think like that was the other thing for our band like we'd never we'd watched kind of everybody else like peers wise you know who they'd already done a festival by then like you know they'd they'd maybe done the smaller stage at download or whatever um we just never really got those opportunities in the UK um and yeah it was only kind of off the back of um everything else that we were doing that we got we got a shot on that stage i suppose it's amazing do you remember like going out and seeing that crowd for the first time because obviously mm. festivals are completely different beast yeah 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 i i do as i said we were very unsure anyone was going to turn up uh we were really nervous like side stage i see i remember it was like uh because obviously it was a tent the side stage was outside um i just remember i i I'd been up on stage and we changed over and I'd set up and obviously it's classic festival changeover where nobody's there. Mm. Um, you know, I'm setting up my kit and I'm having a quick look out like bloody hell, there's nobody here. <laughs> you, know, you know, check the kit, whatever. Um, you know, walk off and all the, all the guys are there hanging out and, you know, Dan's doing his classic Dan thing where he's just kind of like, you know, nervously peeking around the curtain every now and then just to see what's going on. Um, and yeah, like it was, we were just about to walk on and he just, he had a final look out the curtain. He turned round and he was like, guys, there's so many people out there. Are you joking? I was like, no, it's packed. I was like, fuck, okay, let's go. And then, yeah, we just went out. Obviously we did our thing having done so many shows um, in the lead up to it, we were, you know, super on it at the time for what we were. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just a wild show, you know? Um, yeah. Good, good memories. That's amazing. Is it, do you have any particular songs that you enjoy playing live? Um, yeah. I mean, the songs that I enjoy playing live generally are the songs that are, you know, get the biggest response, I guess. So, you know, in the last couple of years, um, I've loved playing Black Flame because it just always is such a massive moment. Um, <laughs> um, you know, particularly like just for me in the chorus, it's like the simplest thing I could ever play. You know, it's just like single kicks, really powerful, but everybody's singing along and it just is a chance for me to actually really appreciate what's going on because mm. I generally have to concentrate quite hard, you know, with some of the stuff I'm playing, like, you know, what's this rhythm, blah, 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 both feet are going. So you don't get that many moments to kind of sit back and just look out and appreciate. And, 
you know, I'm playing something that I basically couldn't um, get wrong, even if I tried. Which is nice. <laughs> Black Flame. Um, Black Flame is one of those songs. Yeah, I really, really enjoy playing that one. Um, Anthemic. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a tune. Um, I mean, Age is another one that's really good. <sighs> Um, and I know there'll be there'll be plenty of Cannibal, which I'll love to play once I get the, the chance to actually do it. Um, we did play the only song we've played off of Cannibal Live is the song Cannibal, which we played once on our last show, which was in Tenerife, um, February of last year. We flew out there and did a one off <laughs> show wow. just, just because. Um, and yeah, we, we dropped Cannibal um, not that long before and thought we'd give it a go live so yeah we, we played that for the one and only time out there and that was really really fun to play so I, I was genuinely really looking forward to playing that obviously that song had also been received quite well so I thought it would have been would have been a fun one um but yeah I guess the the time will come with that one I mean I'm sure it will be but yeah. may I please play Gods and Machines on the uh, in the new tour in the end of this uh, providing it all goes ahead obviously at the end of this year I am I'm going to the Bristol show and I'm cannot fucking wait yeah man that's a that's a fun song a little bit more technical so I'm not sure I'll have as much um, oh you do you do you do your thing Adam it's alright <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry about me so long as you guys are having a great time yeah exactly <laughs> um, yeah we'll, we'll see I mean look We've, we're a victim of our own success. We've got too many bangers. It's very hard to... Um, well, every song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> very hard to choose a set list. Honestly, these days, it's just an absolute car crash trying to choose a set list. Um, but there we are. That's what happens when you have six albums or whatever it is. Of just glorious and utter beautiful fucking <laughs> tunes. Um, everyone's like, that's okay. Just do like, you know, two hour, two and a half hour set. It's fine. And I'm like, mm, no. My arms will fall off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hour and 15, you are pushing it. <laughs> um, so how fun are music videos, or are you not a fan? Yeah, I mean, they're okay. I think we've done a lot of them. They do get a little bit um, long. Um, they're, you know, with music videos, sometimes it can be quite hard to see what it's actually going to look like, you know, when you're yeah. just doing your takes and playing the same song. Um, a million times over um and you always like you always have to go super hard because unless you go hard it doesn't really look very good like you can think you're really like you know getting into it and you watch it back you're like i look really bored it's okay <laughs> if you're doing a, if you're doing a live show and you've got the lights and everyone's like there's this production it doesn't really matter and obviously i don't um you know i can't go too crazy while i play so i, I want to play well but in a music video like, honestly if you just play like normally uh, you watch it back and it's just like yeah this is not going to look good so you have to go a little bit mental um it, yeah it's it's tiring but they can they can be good i think we've been trying to mix up a little bit and not just do the same thing because um you know with performance videos it's very hard to do something different um they're kind of much for muchness and again we've done six albums so how do you how do you mix it up um so we've been trying to do that on and off the last couple of records and do things slightly differently not just have the band playing in some random location you know it's the guys uh, you know fans have seen it all before so but generally 
that's also what most people want to see. They just want to see the band playing. And sometimes you try and do something that's a bit more creative. The band aren't necessarily in it. Um, and it, you know, doesn't go down as well. But yeah. Yeah, because I can imagine lugging that kit up for an honourable rain upon that fucking mountain was fun. Oh, honestly, <laughs> like, yeah, like we, <laughs> we were working with sitcom soldiers who we've worked with a, a bunch over the years and they, we drove there and we didn't really know exactly where the location was. Obviously, it's like some sort of, um, sort of national park-esque thing. So we got to a car park Um and we didn't really know where the actual location for the video was. So okay. we parked up um, and we were waiting for them to arrive. And myself and Dan, um, they basically told us it was like at, at the top of the hill that we were kind of parked at. And we're looking up this hill. I mean, it's not really a hill so much as essentially a mountain. And we're yeah. <laughs> walking up to try and find where they're talking about. And I'm not joking. You get to the point where... You're not able to walk up it. You, you're like crawling up it. Yeah. So like my hands are involved, me getting up this hill. And I'm like, <laughs> how are we going to get up here? Like we've got the van down there. Um, and yeah, honestly, they were like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, keep the revs really high. And our driver at the time, we'd, we'd hired um, a dude with his van. He was like, I, my van is not getting up there full of equipment. Um, so sitcom turned up in their van we put a bunch of gear in the back of it and they ragged their van oh no this hill i mean this i'm, I'm pretty sure they damaged it irreparably after the smell <laughs> awful but they they got us up to the top and then yeah there was this this lugging of stuff um to the actual kind of set which was just set off from like a um, I guess it was a walk. So the whole time we're filming Honourable Rain, there's people like on walks, <laughs> walking, and sort of you could see out while you're trying to film a video, you could see these people just be like, <laughs> because we, <laughs> because it was outside where it was, we couldn't. Your normal thing to do is you've just got a PA like blasting the the record. Yeah. Everyone just plays along to it. You get the vibe. But because of where it was, we couldn't do that. So we all had um, essentially just headphones. I, I had my in-ears in, but the guys just had headphones because they weren't all uh, wearing in-ears at the time. So we were just jamming to the song in our ears. So <laughs> with like a, a slightly muted drum kit. So like, you know, you put like pillows and stuff in, it's quieting down. So people walking past, there was no music. Just these people like rocking out to nothing. On the side of a hill, and people were like, stuff. And obviously, you know, they must have thought we were probably a bigger deal than we were at the time. But yeah, it was it was random. But because the location was so extreme, it ended up coming out at the time, you know, really, really well. Um, but yeah, getting to that site, as you say, was um, was a nightmare. Yeah, it's a great video, but I imagine if like. Yeah, I have to get the climbing equipment out here, guys. I don't know what we're going to do. Like, it's getting, getting like, uh, you know, those pitchfork things start sticking them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because obviously it was before, like, you know, before the time of drones and there wasn't the budget for, like, a big boom arm or whatever. So there's a couple of shots where it's filmed really far back. And I think with the beat, like, it zooms a bit into us. But they essentially, with the camera, climbed up the opposite mountain, the other side. <laughs> We're like waiting for like half an hour for them to hike up this mountain to them set up the camera just for <laughs> one particular shot. 
Um, yeah, it was like, you know, it was pretty DIY. There wasn't a huge budget flying around, but the location made the video. So it, did. it, became, it became a really big song. So, yeah, perfect. That's amazing. I love that we've spoke to like four musicians now about music videos and every single one of them has been like, oh, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you know, there's elements of them that are cool in the sense that certainly for, you know, since Black Flame, where there's been, you know, bigger budgets, there's part of it that's cool in a weird way for me because you sit back and you're like, all these people are here like working to produce a video for our band and then you'd like you know you literally on one hand you're like this is mad there's like people everywhere and on the other hand you're just like this is such a waste of money there's literally (laughs) do everything you know there's the guy filming the guy telling him what to film the guy that's like what's the time there's the guy that gets the drinks there's the makeup there's the assistant of the makeup there's just people that do stuff with the set there's other people that seem to do nothing apart from just stand there i mean there's just crew everywhere and as i said on you know on one hand it's like this is mad there's people everywhere like (laughs) budget's insane and on the other hand you're just like we don't need half these people that are here but um yeah apart from that it's generally they're long days um normally really cold either in a you know some sort of studio or um some weird location and you're just hanging around to be told yep you're on and then you've got to you know give your biggest performance when you've just been stood around for two hours and you're freezing cold and it's like i you know just get a bit of a warm-up or something um but yeah you get you get used to it we've done enough of them they are what they are We've basically we've got some questions from fans who wanted to ask before we go into that Tom have you got anything else you wanted to ask um, just want to say the house looks amazing like the house looks absolutely <laughs> amazing dude. I'm really enjoying those updates um, I really felt for you when you're painting the wall green when you've already put the new carpets in like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, made a, we made a bit of a, a mess with something that I was doing trying to hang curtains so it had um we painted green and then we got the carpets done, but then we needed to redo some of the green paint because I'd splashed some stuff on it basically. So, oh. but yeah, it's, um, it's a big project, but it's starting to look good. Yeah. Are you almost I'm, done or you still got a bit to go? Um, I want to say halfway. Fair play, man. Um, kitchen's done. Master bedroom's done. This room's kind of done, which is like the office space. Um, Still got the bathroom to do, which is happening in two, three weeks. Nice. Uh, all of the living room downstairs, which is fairly big. So that's a fairly big project. Um, so yeah, about half. And then we'll probably tackle the outside a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a nice house. We'll get it there. It's beautiful. I look forward to the updates, man. I'm really thoroughly enjoying <laughs> the updates as you're going. So. I was, I was I looking at it. House account. I was looking at it earlier and I was thinking to myself, I saw the pictures of your old kitchen before you put it in. You're like, I don't know when this is from. It's probably older than me. I was like, you should see my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> it's older than that. <laughs> like, like my kitchen yeah. literally looks like a bank safe. It's, it's oh, not wow. Yeah. yeah as you can tell, really we haven't been able to afford to do that yet. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a time warp. Like everything was in really good condition, but it was just super old. It just hadn't been touched in years. So yeah, just trying to bring it back to life. Maybe. Doing a hell of a job, sir. <laughs> right. Like I so said, we've, we've got some questions from fans. I, 
I'm part of the download festival group and I put seeing if anyone there wanted any, had any questions for you. And I had tons of responses. Oh really? But, That's cool. Yeah. So That's a cool. lot of very excited people asking lots of different questions, but I didn't, okay. if I'd written more down, they'd be here for most of the day. So I just selected some. Okay. So Ricky Derbyshire says, if you could play on anyone's kit from the past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, um, that's a good question. Just put you around the spot now, Adam. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I haven't, um, <laughs> I haven't ever really thought of whose kit I would, I would love to play on. Um, I guess I would actually, to be fair, I would really like to give um, Ben from Parkway Drive's kit a go when it's spinning upside down. So not not his normal kit when it's stationary. I'd love to attempt to play it upside down because I thought that was absolutely insane. Obviously, it's been done before. I'm well aware before anyone points that out to me. Um, but yeah, just you know, his that setup with all the fire going off. I mean, the kit's basically on fire when they were touring that production. Um, I, yeah, I'd love to experience that because I bet it's absolutely wild and fair play to him to be able to um, actually play some complex stuff upside down. You know, that blows my mind. Insane. Yeah. When we did like Firewise, we've never had Pyro live, but when we did the Man on Fire video, we had Pyro and it was like 20, 30 feet behind me in woods when it was going off um, because that was the, the safety thing at the time and honestly every time it went off it was like oh that's really hot but <laughs> i absolutely don't know how bands do pyro on stage because um genuinely i mean it sounds silly to say because you're right next to fire but it's really hot so i don't know how, how do you play a drum kit that's surrounded in fire it's warm enough with lights did you mind saw the, the back of your hair on the back of your head? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it. Honestly, like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's hot. Oh. Again, so, yeah. my, my favourite band in the world is Kiss. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. The, the stage show they put on, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, it's insane. So hopefully we can have Pyro Alive one day. I think that's, hope what, so. that's, on the, that's on the bucket list. So Ben Burke says, have you had any drum failures live that have just stuck with you? Um... There's one in particular that sticks with me from actually our time touring um, the States. It was a show in Seattle. It was with, it was on Miss May Eye's headline tour. So I think it was November, December, 2010, I guess. Um, it was a crazy show. So we were getting a mental response. So obviously when we were out there, we were, you know, nobody's basically, um, you know, impressing some people, fair enough, but it's not like everybody really knew our stuff. So a lot of the shows were kind of like, Oh, you know, I dig this, but not like they know all the words, they go mental. But the Seattle show um, was insane. People just losing their minds, obviously, without knowing who we are, but they were, they were having a good time. And this dude, there was loads of crowd surfers and there was no there was no barrier or anything. And this guy came, he was crowd surfing, literally like he was surfing. He was going so fast, he flew for whatever reason off of the crowd and got propelled across the stage and just wiped out an entire side of my kit. What so I think it was my left side. So the dude just comes past. So I've got a kick drum on my right. I was only playing one at the time. And he basically takes out the entire left-hand side of me. So and the hi-hats there. And I'm like, oh my. <laughs> and obviously, 
you can't stop. So I'm just playing with this like hybrid kit. This dude's <laughs> in pieces next to me. One of the, the stands that he like sheared in half with his like shoulder. He just went completely through. It's unbelievable. And that stuck with me forever. That's insane. Um, I mean, that's, you know, I guess that's kind of cool when something that happens and yeah, it's difficult to play, but you're like, yeah, this show's so mental. You know, my kit's disappearing. Um, <laughs> other stuff i i remember a near miss i had um that's not so cool and it would have been a complete disaster we when we did the stage invasion tour a few years ago um i think it was in york and literally with the last hit of um i think it's a song for us actually the last symbol hit, I did some sort of roll and I like shifted my weight and finished. And as I shifted my weight, my stool that I was sat on just sheared in half. What the and I felt this like, what? And I was like, oh, corrected myself and then realized my stool was no longer attached to anything. And I got up and the seat was just in my hand. And I was like, this is insane. You guys are going to need to wait for me to can i borrow someone's seat i wasn't touring with a spare seat um so i had to borrow one of the other band's seats but i remember and it stuck with me forever if that happened mid-song i mean it might have been one of the only times i've ever had to actually be like guys i'm gonna we're gonna have to stop the song just stop it we'll have to restart like there's the stall was in two bits and i almost ended up with uh Something unwanted up my rear end. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously drum seats are like they're essentially a metal pole with a yeah, you know, a, yeah. a round thing on top. So um yeah, that would have been that would have been fun. Can imagine that story in A and E if you've gone in and people are like <laughs> I, 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 I'm a drummer, I slip, they're like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, luckily nothing too catastrophic for the show so long as the show can go on that's the main thing glenn evans says you've done some cover songs in the past are there any other songs you would like to put your spin on not really um, <laughs> that was that was such a case of i didn't want to do them cover songs <laughs> oh not really i don't think that's something we'll do again we have um We've turned them down quite a few times in our time. When we did Live in the Vida Loca, which is probably the one that a lot of people reference, it was kind of at the time where a lot of bands were doing that sort of thing. And I, I still, you know, there's plenty of cover songs that, you know, alternative heavy bands have done that I think are really cool, especially when you take a, you know, a song that's not heavy and you make it heavy and that sort of thing. Um, but it was like, it was quite a popular thing to do and we did it. I think we did a pretty good job of it as fair effort um but we were never like we played it once live i think at the barfly in camden many years ago um and kind of decided then that never again and then we got the opportunity to do uh the rock sound cover thing and chose the the evanescence track which to be fair i think we did a bloody good job of that song a fair play to to jace for doing it vocally because that's not an easy song to sing um <laughs> but yeah that was definitely like you know we'll do it I think it will be cool, but we're never going to play it live. Um, so I must admit, there isn't really a song I think of. I'm like, oh, I wish we could do a cover of it. It's just not really um, <laughs> something we we massively enjoy. Um, but yeah, 
those those are probably the the two we'll, we'll leave it at, I guess. Yeah, the Ricky Martin song is a banger, though. It's really <laughs> fucking well done. It is well done. And it was my first and probably last time actually recording a cowbell in the studio. <laughs> I remember vividly doing that da 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 that part with it. With yeah, it was quite satisfying at the time, but <laughs> I don't think I'll ever do that again. <laughs> Andrew Whitwam says, uh, "What achievement are you most proud of from being in the band?" Oh. God. I mean, there's just been so many. Like As I said to you guys, it was never supposed to, you know, get to where it has. So, you know, there's so many moments where you're like, you know, I don't think it gets any better than this. And I think it's always difficult for me to pick like one. Um, I think our bands had a series of like what's felt like moments, you know, when you're like, whoa, okay, something, something's happening. Um, I think Download Main Stage was one. Um, we'd done Reading and Leeds Main Stage, which was still to this day the most scared I'd ever been for a show in my life. Like it, it was just, it was before our time, man. Like we, we hadn't done anything that big. We'd, we'd played festivals, but, you know, on smaller stages. We were still... Um, you know, we'd done a lot of shows, but I'd been to Reading, like as a fan, kind of when the band was in its very, very early stages. And I watched some of my favorite bands on that, that main stage. And I remember, you know, looking at the scale of it being like, imagine playing on a stage like that. And we'd, we'd gone nowhere close. Um, and when I got told that we, you know, effectively had an offer to play Reading and Leeds main stage, I was the thought of it just gave me anxiety. Uh, like never, never had it for a show before and never since has the thought of playing a show made me instantly nervous. Um, so the build up to it was, was quite something for me. I was just so afraid of doing it. It was just the scale of it. It was everything. I don't know. It just felt weird. And I guess to a point as well, because it wasn't our necessarily our crowd. So doing that, and then I remember um, when it came to do download main stage, it felt like, you know, we obviously it was still big for us, but, um, you know, we've done this before. We were, a, you know, a bigger and better band than we were when we did Reading and Leeds. Um, it was more our sort of thing. It felt like um, we belonged up there a little bit more and I had a bit more confidence. And I, I particularly remember when I played Reading and Leeds main stage, I was like head down and just don't mess up just try and do your best with it and just don't mess up. Um, and when I did download, I remember vividly telling myself just to try and enjoy it a bit more because um, I didn't really take anything in, um, you know, and as I've kind of touched on before, it's all about experiences for me. Um, and so I just remember playing download, being way more comfortable with it and just kind of looking out to really appreciate like what was going on. And, you know, like, I said it before that how many people get the chance to play download main stage, you know? So that, that was a big moment for us. Um, and I guess, I don't know that, you know, the, the headline shows we do that the bigger ones that we've done when you, you know, selling out, selling out Coco off the back of runes was, was amazing. And then going on to sell out forum and, 
um, you know, then get into headline like Manchester Academy, which is one of my favorite rooms. Um, never thought we'd get to do that, you know, roundhouse um, that we did um, off the back of the Black Flame tour. Um, it's all just, you know, kind of surreal, really. Um, so it's difficult for me to pick just like one, but we've had a few real kind of pinch yourself moments, you know. Um, there's some things when when you've been a band doing what we've done, got to where we have, there's certain things that are kind of like, yeah, you know, it's it's a given you're going to do those things in a way. doesn't mean we appreciate them, you know, any less, but every now and then, yeah, you just get to a stage when you're at these, you know, selling out rooms where it's, you know, the floor's packed and it's big and then you've got enormous balcony and you just, you know, you have a moment of clarity where you're like, you know, what, what is this? <laughs> yeah i've never taken a drum lesson in my life what am i doing <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's it's wild we, we've had so many um yeah just it's nice to do things like this and, and as i said before when you talk to people as we do at merch and i try and engage with people online and stuff just to be able to um reflect because it does make you you know very grateful for the stuff that we have managed to achieve definitely I'm sure it's massively appreciated that you get in touch with your fans and stuff. So I'm sure they absolutely love it. It's just amazing. And I mean, the fact that I reached out to you and you were like, yeah, I'm down. It's just. Yeah. Man, man. yeah. I'm, I've, never, I've never, um, I've never done one of these. So I thought. Have you not? No. Sorry about the high pitch. I don't know where that came from. Oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm just the drummer. So people don't normally want to. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. But. Um, I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've yeah, I've never done one, so I thought it'd be nice to um, yeah, have a chat, see what happens. I appreciate awesome. that, man. Well, the last question we had, I wasn't going to ask this because it's so silly, but there was that many reaction things on Facebook to this question. I felt that I had to ask it because the people clearly want to know. Right, Thomas Joseph says, "How nice does Danny smell?" <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yep, hard hitting questions here. I know, right? Yeah, generally in, in public, very nice. I mean, you know, I've lived with the guy. So, you know, as has <laughs> his moments, like everybody does when they live on a live on a bus for three or four weeks at a time. Um, but yes, generally smells wonderful, very well presented. Um, yeah, very nice man. Yeah, I recommend it. If you get a chance to have a sniff, then do it. <laughs> Um, yeah. I couldn't have asked for a better answer to that really. Yeah, I was say, no, Danny's Danny's great, as I'm sure you guys know. He's a yeah, very, very special person. So absolutely. His safe space stuff he's doing on Instagram is absolutely amazing. Um and his yeah. work for the NHS as well. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's um he just put so much of himself into it. He's really found um a bit of a calling, I suppose, is is fair to say. Um, you know, having had his own struggles, he's just found but it's, you know, he can be of help to people. Um, and, you know, if anything over the last year, I think everybody has realized how prevalent, um, you know, issues with mental health are and people who maybe didn't even realize they had issues before are coming to terms with that. Um, and, you know, it, it helps him as well greatly to be able to kind of help other people. So it's something he's really passionate about. And I, I respect him immensely for giving the amount of time he does, yeah, um, yeah. you know, 
completely free of charge. Um, you know, the safe space stuff he did on tour, like that's, that's a lot, you know, we don't get, um, you know, when you're on tour and you have a big show to play, you've played a big show the night before, you know, you've got your downtime. Like it's quite precious during the day just to chill and do random stuff. But the fact he kind of chose to set up those sessions, have to get up early to travel there, um, do them and like just make it back for, you know, sound check and then play a show. It was kind of, it took up his entire day. So well, immense respect for him for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. amazing. Wonderful. Right. Before we get out of here, we like to play a quick little game with our guests. We literally, we call it the quick fire round. It's six questions and you just answer them as quick as you can. Nice and simple. Right. Are you, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I love how nervous people get when they hear the questions. Like, why the fuck am I nervous? Yeah, so, exactly. The first hard hitting question. Your favorite Muppet? Um, animal. Of course, drummer. Of course, of course. <laughs> made sense. First concert you went to? Um, Wheatus. I've seen Wheatus live. They're amazing. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> very, actually, Adam. All right, very. You want to know where my inspiration came from? I saw Wheatus, and I was like, I can probably do it better than that. Let's give it a go. <laughs> No, I'm joking. Teenage Dirtbag, man. What an enormous song. Amazing. Huge. Yeah. Your favourite chocolate bar? Ooh. Um, if there is one. Yeah, difficult to pick just one. Um, <laughs> I really like a boost. Oh, Good what shout. a great shout that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> your your favourite cartoon when you were growing up? Oh, um, I used to really like Dexter. Dexter. Oh, Dexter's lab was amazing. Yes. Yeah, I was big into that. If there was to be a movie about the band, who would play you? Um, I don't know. Somebody really uncool. <laughs> oh, fuck off. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's what you want to be asked on a Sunday night, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. Big question. Um, Especially on the spot. I know. Yeah, I don't know. You guys got any suggestions for me? Ooh. Okay. Shia I mean, LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a little bit mental, but yeah, all right. Um, Is, should we take that? I was thinking more, you know, Brad Pitt, Tom Hardy, sort of, you know, that vibe, but it's fine. I'm so sorry. I, I just, <laughs> it's just the first that came into my head. It's just the first okay. person. Okay. Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He, he was Hardy. What, definitely what I was going for. Similarity is uncanny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I wouldn't even know it was you two, but I thought Tom had turned up. <laughs> you didn't say Adam at the bottom. I'd have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last one. A piece of advice you would give to a younger Ugh. self. Younger self. Um, I don't know. I think just 
just what I've done in that, you know, find something that you're you're passionate about and just give it a really good bloody go, I guess. You know, just put put your effort into something that you're passionate about. Um, because I think, you know, when that inevitably pays off, because I do, you know, I really believe if you work hard at something, um, you, you know, you can achieve great things. So when it does pay off, it's just um, really satisfying. So, yeah, I would just encourage myself to find something um, and work really hard to get to where you want to be. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the, the best things about looking back on whatever it is we do, whether we do, you know, nothing else past where we are now. Um, I can sit back and, um, you know, I, I ticked every box and, and more that I, I wanted to wanted to do. You know, I've, I've surpassed my expectations, done extraordinary things. I've got great life experiences. Um, and ultimately, you know, it puts me in a position where I can have these kinds of conversations with people um, and be like, yeah, we've done some pretty, pretty crazy stuff, stuff that people don't normally get a chance to do. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. So past this point for me, everything is, is a, a bonus really. Adam, man, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> you and the boys of BT are just true heroes and true gentlemen and keep <laughs> fucking smashing out these albums. Cause yeah, just like I said, just getting stronger and, and eventually that headline at Slam Dunk and download and everything else. It's coming. <laughs> your time is coming sir <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully i'd like to think you know somebody can start mixing up the uh the headliners at download at some stage yeah well you'd like to hope so wouldn't you yeah it's um i don't know is it i guess this is a whole other subject but it's difficult i get it you know there's certain bands that constantly will will sell the tickets that those those festivals need to sell um but i i would love it for somebody else to start yes and get get a chance so we'll see Absolutely. maybe it is us you never know you never know well i mean it should be so but i'll keep everything crossed <laughs> thank you guys appreciate it amazing uh quickly before we get out where can people find you on the internet the socials and all that jazz uh so me i'm uh at jacko bt on twitter and instagram um but yeah make sure you just check out the band at Berry tomorrow it's the most important thing but yeah, if you want some uh, house renovation pictures and the odd uh, odd picture of me drumming at some point in the future, then yeah, come check it out. Incredible. Beautiful. Adam, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. And it has been amazing. It's awesome to hear we were your first podcast as well. Yeah, no, it's been really good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, really thank good. you so much, bro. We really, really appreciate it. And have a grandiose rest of Sunday evening. And I wish you all the best with the renovations. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Not at all, sir. Thank you, you again, my friend. No worries. Cheers. Bye. Bye. This is Matt Ricardo telling you that you're listening to the Chronicles of podcast.